We've been doing a series, thank you guys, appreciate your help so much, a series called uh, The Enviable Life. It's the enviable life because it's about the Beatitudes. It's one of the first sermons that Jesus Christ preached, the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes, here, here was Jesus. <laughs> They're on the hillside and he's talking to the crowds and people are just blown away at how he presented things so differently than what they were used to hearing in church. This was all written, the Gospels were written after his death and resurrection. Matthew, who wrote the Beatitudes, he just did one-liners. They must have impacted him so much that even four or five years later, he remembered these key principles, these one-liners, and he wrote them down. But this was part of Jesus' sermon. I'm on week seven, I think, uh, as we're going through the Beatitudes and uh, I could imagine, I, I just wish somebody had a time Jesus and how long his sermons were. This way I'd feel justified when I get up and preach on a Sunday. Amen. But uh, the Beatitudes are attitudes and um, <clears throat> lifestyles, perspective of life that is in sync with the kingdom of God. And for every beatitude, every attitude that Jesus taught on, he said there comes a blessing. Mm -hmm. Blessed are, and the word blessed means to be so favored, so uh, endowed with God's favor and blessing, your life will be enviable. That's literally what it means. I believe that when we harness our lives and our attitudes, and our priorities, and we come into agreement with the way heaven thinks, we'll see a lot more of heaven happening in our lives, through our lives, and around our lives. Can I get an agreement? This morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and I believe this message to be a very, very relevant and practical message. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus said, Blessed to be envied, prosperous, reigned on with favor are those who are peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Now, in many of the Beatitudes, he talks about the attitude or the lifestyle attitude, and then he talks about what the blessing is. And the thought of, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God, doesn't sound like a, a whole lot. But I want you to bear with me for a few moments as I lay out this sermon the way the Holy Spirit laid me out. And if you just heard what I said, you know what's in store. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. I titled this message, Peacekeeping or Peacemaking. Are you a peacekeeper or are you a peacemaker? You see, the word peacemaker in the Greek, in the Strong's uh, concordance, uh, I can't even say that word, so I won't even try. Even with the uh, phonetic spelling, I can't say it. Peacemaking, A-P, 
peacemaker. It's made up of two Greek words. And uh, if we look at uh, the first word, just the word peace, it, it is the word irene. Irene. And here's something really odd. Everyone look at the screen there. The first definition of peace is one. Not one, P-I-E-C-E, one, all by itself. And that's really odd, and it doesn't seem to make sense until you continue to search through what the word peace really means in God's vocabulary. One, peace, quietness, rest. And the reason why it says one, as you continue to look into the Greek language and look at the root of the words in a, in a study book called Helps Word Studies, the word peace, erene, comes from ero, and look at what it means, to join, to tie together into a whole, one. To take something that's broken and bring it back together as one. Properly, wholeness. When all essential parts are joined together. Peace. God's gift of wholeness. The second word here for peacemaker is the word maker. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Bring that first screen back again, that second screen. That definition. In God's economy, peace is making everything whole, bringing absolute restoration. The word maker. Let's go to the word maker. We'll unfold this a little at a time. Poyeo. To make, to do. To manufacture, to construct, to do, to act, to cause. A peacemaker in the Greek, as Jesus was talking, he said, blessed are those people who go out of their way to construct, to manufacture, to cause, to act in the cause of bringing people back together as one and restoring those who have been set at odds so that there can be utter and complete restoration of emotions and of persons. Why is that relevant? Because today we have redefined the concept of peace in today's era, in today's language of society, in today's experience of recent history, peace becomes more an issue of peacekeeping. And so when you look online, the Oxford Dictionary defines peacekeeping as the active maintenance of a truce. Listen, friend, if you've got to have a truce, you don't have peace. If you have to have truce, you have not healed the tear between individuals. 
It's a temporary stay of anger. So it says, a peacekeeping as the active maintenance of a truce between nations or communities, especially by an international military force. Now that's the kind of peace I want to have in my home. I mean, that's just the kind of relationship that it should exist between every husband and every wife. Well, you need an international military force to maintain a truce. And unfortunately, even in the church today, that's what a lot of marriages look like. I told you, I'm going to try to lay this out the way the Holy Ghost laid me out? How many of you can hear it coming? (laughs) Merriam-Webster Dictionary says that it defines peacekeeping as the preserving of peace, especially international enforcement and supervision of a truce between hostile states or communities. Wikipedia defines peacekeeping as activities intended to create conditions that favor lasting peace. Now listen, research generally finds that peacekeeping reduces civilian and battlefield deaths and reduces the risk of renewed warfare. Oh, hallelujah, what a savior. (laughs) A peacemaker seeks to reunite and to heal. A peacekeeper seeks to keep underlying hostilities to a manageable level of acceptance. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. We're going to go deeper, folks. Are you ready? Before I do, how many of you take your Christianity Seriously. You you know what one of the greatest disservices to the church of Jesus Christ is? When our Christianity can be summed up in the sum total of my name's written in the book of life, my sins are forgiven, yay, I'm going to heaven. And honestly, that's the church's fault because we preach a gospel of salvation rather than preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the gospel of the kingdom of God includes everything from lifestyle, relationship, reconciliation, repentance, healing, dominion in the spirit realm, who we are as sons of God and who we are in Christ. And I believe that the church has been done a disservice because we have reduced to the absolute minimum the gospel. And church, let me tell you, it's a setup because the Bible says that before the return of Jesus Christ, there'll be a great falling away. If the church is built on a solid rock, there will be no falling away. But when the church is built, (laughs) 
But when the church is built on doctrines that don't offend people's demons and idiosyncrasies and our preconceived hurts and biases, when the church has to tippy-toe so that it's never offensive, we end up developing an even shallower generation of Christians. And our problems become even greater as we move forward. May I say to every one of you, there is one standard and his name is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how good you think Pastor Rob is, Pastor Rob must bring everything in his life into alignment and agreement with the way Jesus says it should be. And his life has to mirror Jesus' life, no exceptions. And the same for you. We seem to forget, or maybe there's too much dust keeping the covers of our Bible closed that we can't open it. We seem to not know that Jesus is called the rock of offense. You see, truth will offend those who don't love the absolute truth. I've said several times from this pulpit, I would rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. Because with the ugly truth, I at least know where I am, and I know where I need to get to, and I can work that out. But with the comfort of a lie, I think everything is just fine as I'm on my belly sliding to hell. I'd rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. Don't compliment me, don't hug me, don't comfort me. What a flattering lie, because it's still deception. Are you with me, church? Amen. Here we go. As Christians, in our relationships with one another, husband, wife, Son and daughter, brother to brother, sister to sister. Uh, let me just check again. How many of you want to take your Christianity seriously? Quickly? Okay. You just gave me permission to say what I'm going to say. As Christians in our relationships, we seek to avoid conflict at all cost. We say... It's because we love peace. But if we really loved peace, we would want to heal the hurt and reunite the offended parties. If we were honest with ourselves, the truth is we just don't want conflict. It's messy. Let's boil that down. Simply put, we hate conflict more than we love peace. This is a generation, this is a society, and by generation I don't mean the latest kids, I'm, I'm including all of us. This is a society that is convenience-orientated. And everything about our lives and everything that cheapens our lives is that we've taken a position of what's convenient. 
the best things in life are not always convenient. The most noble things in life are not always convenient. In fact, the purer, the more honorable, the loftier something is, demons will make sure that it's very inconvenient to get there. Inconvenience should not be something we run from. We need to evaluate the, the morality of what lies before us, and no matter how inconvenient the truth, we must run after it and seek it out. Can I get an agreement? I'm going to put a slide up on the screen. You might want to take a picture of this because this is something God showed me years ago and it's become a principle I've learned. I am learning to live by. Are you ready? I already told you the reality is that we hate conflict more than we love peace. And when I speak of peace, I'm talking about God's kind of peace, the peace that heals, the peace that makes whole, the peace that reunites, the peace that gets to the bottom of the issue and heals all offended parties. Are you hearing me? Okay, so now we're going to put up on the screen this. The conflict you won't deal with is the conflict that will deal with you. The problem is, it will choose the time and the place, and it will never be convenient to you. We maintain peace by avoiding conflict. You know what conflict is? It's a spirit. Conflict is a spirit. Oh no, conflict was this person said this and this person did that and it caused this reaction and this situation and we had conflict. No. The boogeyman behind this said and that happened and this reaction and this result is a spirit called conflict. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And the unwisest discernment that the church could have is to look at life and see it purely from a secular level. We are not merely flesh and blood. I dare say to you like the same way an iceberg, we only see the tip of an iceberg. In this life, the reality is two-thirds of the world is unseen. And if we live only by what we see, we are already deluded and deceived. Conflict is a spirit. And I can avoid conflict, but I haven't dealt with that spirit. And you can avoid conflict, and conflict will make sure that you have to sidestep it, sidestep it, sidestep it, sidestep it, until it finally has you in a place where it's checkmate. Did I say I'm going to try to lay this out the way the Holy Ghost laid me out? John 14, 22. You see, we don't want to do the messy stuff of having to dig deep and really fix a relationship. See, Jesus said stuff like this, on your way to the altar, on your way to grace and faith, 
on your way to your bedroom when you're going to pray, on your way to picking up your Bible to read and have devotion with your father, if you realize your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. How proactive is that? So, if God tells us to be that proactive, that if they have an issue with me, out of love for them, because three universal laws, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, that's the first and the greatest of all commandments. And the second is like this, thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. Break any one of those three universal laws. Break the law of loving God or loving your neighbor or loving yourself and things around you will start to break. Life is relationship. What you have with your employer or what you don't have is summed up in relationship. What you have with your son and your daughter or you don't have comes down to relationship. What you agree to put up with, for better or for worse, comes down to relationship. Your neighbor on the other side of the fence, Mr. Grumpy, who gets you irritated, it comes down to relationship. There is no other way to do life other than relationship. And why is it that we as the church sometimes are the worst at relationship? Hang on a second. Good preaching, Pastor Bill. <laughs> Let me point something out that Jesus said. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. Jesus says, I bring you my peace. I'm not giving you peace the way the world does. You see, the world, and sometimes the Christians, act like the world. We talk about peace, peace. But it's no different than the peace of the Antichrist. Peace, peace, peace. And in the end is destruction. We don't want to deal with conflict because it's messy. We don't want to deal with conflict because of the fear of repercussions. But when do we get to the place that as Christians, we start to grow up and mature? This Christ died for me. He gave his life to fix up my mess-ups. When am I going to stop messing up and start doing and living like his word says? Now, that's not legalism. That's a grateful heart who wants to live up to what they've already attained by grace in Jesus Christ. Don't let the enemy color our due diligence as sons of God with a sweeping brush of legalism. You start the race at the finish line. He can't love you more than he already loves you. You can't be more the son of God than you already are, broken and messed up. 
you are already the righteousness of God by the righteousness that comes from God, not by your efforts. But since he has cleaned my rap sheet and he's given me a position of righteousness and relates to me as a righteous son positionally, and since he has empowered me with righteousness, that much more let us live up to what we've already attained. You see, where we break down often is in the area of relationship. And in relationship, if we are going to be peacemakers as opposed to peacekeepers, it's not about avoiding the conflict. It's about resolving the conflict at all cost. That might mean prayer and fasting. That might mean saying, I'm sorry. You see... When we want to resolve a conflict out of our human self, we want to go to the other person and tell them what a flaming idiot they are. But when we try to resolve conflict from a spirit-led perspective, we put ourselves in the shoes of the other person and try to see as they see and we come with reconciliatory gestures of hope, of humility, coming without accusation and agitation. Am I talking to anybody here today? The world's concept of peace is peacekeeping. God's concept of peace is peacemaking. Salt. I want to talk to you for a second about salt. That's right, the stuff you sprinkle on your food. Salt. Prior to the Industrial Revolution, salt was an extremely expensive commodity. In fact, salt was so valuable. We think of gold, we think of silver, we think of all these other things, but we don't realize we've lived in the last 20, 30, 50, 60, 70 years, but prior to the Industrial Revolution with refrigeration and canning and things like that, salt was of immense value, so much so that salt was often used as a form of money, currency. In parts of China, salt was made into cakes and then the emperor's stamp was stamped on the cakes of salt and it was traded as a form of currency in roman times roman soldiers were paid in part part of their pay was paid out in salt and it comes from a latin phrase uh let me see if i have it salarium argentum translated salt money and it's where we get the word salary from we talk about he's worth his weight in gold but prior to that modern revision of that phraseology 
In the past, because salt was a form of currency and it had such high value. Why? Because societies depended on it for their survival. There was no way to preserve food or to preserve meat if you didn't have salt. In fact, if you read about the Civil War here in the United States of America, and I don't know what was so civil about it, but anyway, when you read about the Civil War, it is actually suggested that the one of the key reasons why the South lost was because they didn't have enough salt to salt the hogs. Rations. Meat was rotting. Even the animals needed salt. Horses needed salt as a vital mineral. And they say that the soldiers were degenerated in strength and stability and stamina. And so were the horses. It was such a reality that they made a charge for a city in Virginia that was host to a major salt mine. All the major trading routes of old days, ancient times, followed salt routes because there was no way to keep your food fresh other than to salt it. And so in ancient times, we've revised the phrase and we say to persons wait their weight in salt. Slaves were bought, bought with salt and the phrase was they're not worth their salt. That's how powerful and important salt was. Having said all that, now that we've taken the concept of salt and put it into context, I want to read a verse that Jesus says about relationships and about salt. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, if it loses its ability to preserve, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. We have defined peace by avoiding conflict. God defines peace by preserving relationship and dealing with the issue so that the spirit of conflict has nothing to hold on to. Jesus is saying, preserve and protect relationships so that you can have peace. Be salt, have salt among you. If we're going to understand peacemaker, we have to understand the nature of conflict. Now, when I was putting this message together and the Holy Ghost was having a bit of a field day with me, this is the third week in a row where I'm going to make the notes available. I never make my notes available. It's just a thing with me. I, I don't make my notes available. That's my private stuff. People can misconstrue it, use it out of context. These notes are available because there's so much depth to what I want to give you, and I had to minimize. I cannot cover the subject completely just on peacemakers. But to be a peacemaker from a biblical perspective, we have to understand conflict. And let me teach you something about conflict because if life is all about relationships, guess what Jesus said? It's impossible for offenses not to come. So if all of life is about relationships 
and conflict is going to come, offense is going to come, and we don't know how to handle offenses, guess what? Life is going <laughs> to suck it up. Conflict's a spirit. I don't have time to read it, but if you get these notes, Psalm 55, verse 9 to 11. Lord, confuse the wicked, confound the words, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night, they prowl about on its walls. It's talking about violence and strife as if it was an animate object. It's a spirit. I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night, they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. Conflict. It's a spirit. It's alive. Its mission is to set at odds, to divide and conquer. And its accomplices are the spirit of accusation, Revelations chapter 12, verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come the time for the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. Accusation comes from a spirit. You know when your head starts rummaging and you start getting stirred up in your head. How many of you, be honest now, because I'm going to be honest. I'm going to put myself out there. How many of you are like me, and you have an argument with somebody in your head before you ever even have the conversation? <laughs> Man, we are... Thank you, Jesus. Oh, what a Savior. Accusation is a spirit, and that spirit will wind you up and wind you up. And the spirit of offense, Luke chapter 17, verse 1, then said he to his disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. In other words, it's impossible for offenses not to happen. But woe unto him through whom they come. The Greek word for offense is the word scandalon. That's where we get, I was scandalized. Scandalon. And you know what scandalon is? A hunter uh, who would hunt and set traps would set up a trap and that little stick that holds the trap up would be tied to a string. And when that unsuspecting animal went to take the bait, the, the uh, hunter would pull the string on the scandal, the stick that held it up, and the trap would be set and the little uh, animal would be taken captive. The spirit of offense works together with the spirit of accusation and the spirit of conflict. And between the three of them, and you say, why three of them? In Ecclesiastes, there's a principle, and it says, a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. When you start to understand the spirit realm, the same way there's an anointing on God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. God the Son does the will of the Father, God the Father, and the Holy Ghost will always fulfill the word of the Son who's speaking the will of the Father. Father and the three come together in unity and where there is unity there's amazing power and dunamis is released and in the same context Satan who once used to walk in the glory of God fell but he still understands the laws of the spirit realm you know you could be a 
good person and fly airplanes and you could become a bad person and still use the laws of aerodynamics. And so there are laws in the spirit realm. And a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. And so when you're understanding warfare, you got to understand conflict. And when you understand conflict, conflict's his spirit, but he never comes by himself. He will come with the spirit of accusation, and he will come with the spirit of offense. The book of Genesis... It's called Genesis because Genesis is the beginning. I teach Bible school. And one of the things that as theologians that we learn about the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, is that every major truth and every major doctrine uh, in the Word of God has its origin, its it's beginning somewhere in the book of Genesis and it works its way through all throughout the pages of Scripture and then it has its completion somewhere in the book of Revelation. Now don't, don't ask me how they do it except for the fact that it is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. So if we're looking at being peacemakers, and to understand being a peacemaker, we got to understand the art of the conflict. And if conflict is a spirit, we got to understand the spiritual nature and tenacity of this dynamics. Let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty. Hidden agenda, crafty, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You know who was speaking? The spirit of conflict. He's stirring a conflict. Conflict is to set people at odds. His crafty intent was to put mankind at odds with God. And by the way, this worked so well back then, he's been doing it ever since. Every generation, every one of us, he pits us against God so that we think we have a reason to be angry at him. Spiritual warfare 101. Come to Bible school. Spirit of conflict to set at odds. Next verse. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the tree the, the from the we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Next verse. But God did say you must not eat free, fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Next verse. You will not certainly die the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Duh, they were already made in the image of God. Here's this snake, and that's exactly what he was, suggesting that God has withheld some of his likeness from them. God knows that you will be like him, knowing good and evil. The spirit of accusation. <laughs> the spirit of conflict poses a question that starts to set them at odds. 
the spirit of accusations as well. The truth of the issue here is that God has actually kept something really important from you. Folks, let me be absolutely clear with you. How many of you would rather have an internet with absolutely no immorality, no sin, no bad news, no garbage, only news about how to live a healthy and prosperous life mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically? I liken the internet a little bit to like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, don't eat from that one tree. When I made you, I said, it is good. It's in the Bible. First thing out of God's mouth after he created man, it is good. And that word good means morally pure, perfect in every way. But man was given free will. God knew that if we ate from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, we can't handle the knowledge of evil. And so the spirit of accusation, you see, you see, I'm not going to tell you the whole truth. I'm just going to give you a little piece of the picture because I'm out to deceive you. You see, God's kept something good from you. So what happens? Next verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, when the woman saw that there was validity to what the snake was saying, right at that moment, guess what happened? The spirit of offense. She took offense. And she deviated from what God told her to do and did the very opposite. She took offense. God is withholding from me. And in her own wisdom, she went ahead against God's instruction. She took, she ate, and guess what the spirit of offense does? Did you ever notice that the spirit of offense is never happy by itself? Because the spirit of offense will always be recognized best by its natural trait, and that is it needs to come here. Did you know that Paul over there, sitting next to that cute blonde, you know, her name is Beth, that's his wife. But I want to tell you something about Paul, Bob, Bob, You see, the spirit of offense is a gatherer. Because when we allow the spirit of offense to have entrance into us, we allow a whole strategy of darkness access to our lives. I bet when you woke up this morning, you didn't expect you were going to get all this in church. <laughs> you know, it's my job to, to break life down. And I, I you know, I, I love this. Jesus was on the mountainside and people were going gagas over his preaching. Matthew, you know, four or five years, however many years later, he remembers these key principles and they're one-liners. But how long did it take Jesus to preach it? Put me on a time clock and you won't get this. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 
You see, this is the pattern that has worked through the ages. And so what happens is this, and I'm going to finish it here. I'm going to finally break it all down and show you how to win this winnable war because it is a winnable war. How to be a peacemaker. When the spirit of conflict comes to you, and he will, he will unleash the spirit of accusation in your mind so that you judge their motives, the other person. Spirit of accusation will talk to you about Paul. Everybody look at Paul. Paul, we don't want you to feel self-conscious, but stand up. <laughs> Did you know that Paul... You see, the spirit of accusation will talk to you in your mind so no one else can shoot it down. And he will talk to you. The spirit of conflict starts hovering over you. He releases the spirit of accusation, and you look at Paul after I talk to you about Paul, and you say, you know what? Pastor's right. You know what? Pastor's always right. Oh, come on, laugh, I'm kidding. <laughs> so spirit accusation, he'll do something totally unrelated, but the appearance will be that it lines up with the gossip that I shared with you, that the spirit spoke to you, an accusation. And the moment you believe the accusation in your mind, the spirit of offense says, thank you for letting me come in. And here's the problem. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. The, the issue with mercy, you know, I, I talk to you, we kill people all the time. Character assassination. Why? We have a closed court in our mind where we are the prosecutor, we are the judge, and we are the jury, and we make decisions about people's actions all around us and why they did this and how they did this and how they're trying to get me and what they really meant, and I know what their motives were, and we never ever open it for discussion with them, and so we leave their defense attorney out of the court, and in our closed mind, we have a closed court, and we become judge, prosecutor, and jury, and we sentence them, but when we sentence since them without mercy we've allowed the spirit of offense to have access in our stands that's why Jesus said he put it two different ways in one gospel it says if you go to the altar and you know your brother has something against you you go to him it also is put, when you go to the altar, if you have something against your brother, you go to him. You know what the onus is? You. Nobody is the master of your life, your destiny, but you. God gave you free will. And you can either tell those demons to go to hell, or you could say, come on in, I want to entertain this. Ooh, it's getting hot. <laughs> I, I, I need... <laughs> and so, when we can 
when we conclude in our closed court session, you now feel justified. Listen, listen, this is good. Listen. When we conclude in the closed court session of the privacy of our own mind, because we've reached a verdict about Paul, we now feel justified to take on the spirit of offense. I'm going to put a screen up. The right to be offended is the wrong you're not easily delivered of. When you have a closed court in your mind, you will feel justified to take the offense. It's your right. They did this. And you've never, ever talked to them. And the right to be offended is the wrong you're not easily delivered of. Don't put yourself in that predicament. Not every offense that is taken is an offense that's given. Not every offense that is taken is an offense that's given. You see, how do we become peacemakers? Number one, tell the spirit of conflict, accusation, and offense. Are you ready? Now you have an option here. You could take offense at what I'm going to say. This is how you become a peacemaker. Tell the spirit of conflict, accusation, and offense to go to hell. Or you'll end up telling your brother to go to hell. Those three spirits will stir up conflict within you from unresolved conflicts that already exist in you. The conflict you don't deal with is the conflict that will deal with you. You see, the spirit of conflict and the spirit of accusation and the spirit of offense will stir up all the hurts from your past that you've never reconciled, all those people you've never gone to, all those issues you've never settled. We sweep them under the rug because we're going to have peace. 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 And that's why our father passes away and we never had the opportunity to say, I'm sorry. Or to make reconciliation. Or a brother dies. And you're broken on the inside because you never said the words you needed to say. Or maybe your son dies and you never ever held him in your arms and said, I love you. Why do we live in regret? Because we live in the lies of demonic chatter. Blessed are those who are peacemakers, for they will be known as sons of God. Have you ever asked yourself, who will know them as sons of God? Who's the they? I love this part of the sermon. I really do. It's so powerful. They will be known as sons of God. Who? You know, there's a story in the book of Acts, revival sweeping all of uh, Judea, and uh, <clears throat> Paul gets converted. He was killing Christians left, right, and center. He gets converted. Now he's full of the Holy Ghost. He's preaching. He's he <coughs> healing people in Jesus' name, casting out devils. And there was a priest whose name was Sceva, and he had seven sons. 
And in the book of Acts, it says that they would go around and try to cast demons out of people. And this stuff is real, folks. Uh, and they would try to cast demons out of people and say, we command you in the name of Jesus Christ whom Paul preaches. And the Bible says that this one time they were in a particular house and the man that they were praying over, the spirits inside of him rose up and beat the seven sons of Sceva so badly that they were bruised, they were bleeding, and they were ripped raw and stripped naked, and they went running out of that place, and fear came on the whole city. Because it's not enough to preach in the name of Jesus based on what somebody else has experienced. you got to preach in the name of Jesus based on the Christ who is your Lord and your Savior. But what happened was, just before these demons beat up these men, you know what they said? Classic. Classic. You remember movies because of classic lines. This is one of those movies you remember by the classic line. The demon said, Jesus, we know. And Paul, we know him too. But who are you? Jesus said, blessed are the peace makers, for they will be known as sons of God. You see, the demonic world, when you understand that peace is about uniting, peace is about restoring, peace is about coming in humility because you really love reconciliation. You're the devil's worst nightmare. You're a firefighter of heaven. You're constantly pouring the love, the mercy, and the grace of God on every potential conflict. And you're shutting the mouths of lions. You're shutting down the whole operation of the kingdom of darkness. You become God's secret agent. And where the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you mess it all up like a Samson in the name of Jehovah. You come and you shut down the enemy's gate. Blessed are the peacemakers. You see, you say, well, why is it so important? Peacekeeper, peacemaker, peacekeeper, peacemaker. I've been here a long time. Will you get to the flipping point? Here it is. <laughs> here it is. Are you ready? Here it is. It's, it's my job. It's my privilege. It's my calling in life to take you beyond the nice little church experience and to bring you into the truth, revelation. So here it is. Are you ready? You see, where there's peacekeeping, well, you know, we'll just be nice and cordial on the surface, but you and I both know we hate each other's guts, but hey, you know, we'll just... For the sake of peace. That ain't peace. The Antichrist comes. Peace, peace, peace. But it's the peace of the world. And in the end, there is destruction. The conflict you don't deal with is a conflict that will deal with you. The problem is it will choose the place and the time. And it's never convenient for you. So why? Peacekeeping, peacemaker. 
Because a peacekeeper will dance around the issue and the demons that live in her hurts and the demons that live in my hurts still have reign and they still have rule. And they're just waiting, like with Jesus, for a more opportune moment. And it will come. Because the spirit of conflict will stir the opportunity. But the peacemaker makes sure that the enemy has no hold on him. And in love and in mercy and in grace and because of the love of relationship goes to the other party. It doesn't matter who was the offender. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities who stir up conflict. Good preaching, Pastor. Great preaching. And so those demons that are left dormant, they haven't gone away. Oh, well, if I don't bother them, they're not going to bother me. Baloney. Psalm 133. This is why the devil wants you to be a peacekeeper and not a peacemaker. You see, in Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Next verse. It's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Aaron was a high priest. And it went down to the skirts of his garment. The anointing, the presence, the glory of God covered him down to the edge of his garment. Verse 3. As the dew on Mount Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Where there is unity, where the two are tied together, where what is broken is made whole again, where there is no hiding, dormant conflict, where there is unity of heart and forgiveness and repentance, where there is unity, God commands the blessing. So the peacemaker not only puts out the devil's fires, he invokes the presence and the blessing of heaven on his life and on other people's lives too. Let me ask you a question. Our nation has just had a tragedy, record-breaking fires in California I think 84, maybe 86 people have lost their lives. And it is a sad moment. Now let's be real and honest. Because I'd rather the ugly truth than the comfort of a lie. So what would you think of a firefighter who didn't rush into the fire because it's hot and it's messy and you could get hurt but called himself a firefighter while he went 25 miles south of the fire and warded a few houses. 
He avoids the conflict because of the intensity of the heat. Is he worth his salt? What makes firefighters heroes is because they consider not their own lives, but the value of another life is held in high esteem. James says, you bless God with your tongue and you curse your fellow man with your tongue and he's created in the image of God. Wow, you read that and you see the value that God puts on life, on humanity. You bless God with your tongue and then you curse another person and they're created in the image of God. Guess what? We never realized it. We curse the image of God. The spirit of conflict. Peacemakers will be known in the kingdom of darkness as sons of God. They're the real deal. They're the real thing. Sometimes people do bring the offense to us. Sometimes people do hurt us. Sometimes people are so broken in themselves that like us, in our extreme moments, they do crazy, unacceptable things. And we've all been guilty of that. And that's why I put myself in a position of mercy. I look at everybody else as broken as me, and needing as much mercy as me. And in the closed court of my mind, I give grace. Or I go to that person to quell the fire and bring reconciliation. Blessed to be envied, to be admired, riches abundantly on anyone who is a peacemaker. That's what Jesus said. These are attitudes that come straight from heaven. And no wonder he pronounces an extreme blessing on them. Come with me. And let's not just rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. But let's rejoice that the power of his righteousness is in us. And we can show it off in how we live. Can I get an agreement? Come on, let's stand. There's so much more I could say. You know what gossip is? When somebody has something unsavory to say about Paul, but they don't go to Paul. They go to anyone but Paul. And when I have something unsavory to say about Paul and I say it to Barbara or I say it to Joe, it's gossip. Do you know what gossip is? It's the wind that spreads a wildfire. Peacemakers. Peacemakers. If Joe comes to me and he wants to tell me something about Paul and I've been sitting under Pastor Rob and I just heard this message, I said, Paul, whoa. Before you defame the image of God, 
I know he's not perfect, nor am I. So you're talking to another broken image of God here. I'll only listen if you agree that together we'll go to Paul and talk about this. Peacemaker. I'm not going to let him spread the wildfire. I'm going to spread holy fire. Every eye closed. We all need Jesus. But if you've never asked Jesus Christ into your heart, listen, <laughs> we don't become good enough. He takes us as we are. That's the real definition of love. He's not saying, I'll love you if you could do all this stuff. Trust me. The minute you say, okay, you'll fail. He loves us knowing our weaknesses and he takes us on just like that. And if you've never asked Jesus Christ in your heart today, Carlos, did you give them that scripture? I think it's Isaiah 35, verse 5. Did he give it to you? This is what Jesus did. Do we have it, Matt? I think it's Isaiah 35, 5. I got it during the worship. Yes? The Bible says that, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Nails went through his hands and through his feet. A sword went through his side for our sins. He was crushed. You believe it. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace, relationship with God, peace. See, God didn't dance around the issues. He went to the source. He faced the conflict. It crushed him. He gave up his life to deal with the conflict because that's the only way to really have peace. The world knows peace as a truce. God knows peace as people humbly accepting accountability and asking for forgiveness. And by his wounds we're healed. The chastisement of my peace was on him. So as sons of God, we're called to do what the Son of God does. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart, your relationship with God, we mess it up. But God paid the price. He's willing to deal with the conflict. Every eye closed. If you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, put your hand up right now. Come on. You're not joining this church you're just saying yes to Jesus. Put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Up the back. Thank you. Appreciate that. Who else? Come on. All across this place. Broken people. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. Come on. We'll wait. This is the most important thing. If you've walked away from God, thank you. You can put your hand down. If you've walked away from God, it's time to come back and make your peace. He paid the price. Let peace come. 
Let Jesus come into your heart right now before we close. Anyone else? I'd love to pray with those of you who raised your hand. I am so proud of you. This is the most honorable thing you could do. It's the beginning of peace. Always accompanied by humbly accepting accountability. I got to tell you, just about everyone in this place who didn't raise their hand, they've done exactly this, and they've walked the walk and said, Jesus, come into my heart. How many of you have done that before? Put your hand up. Come on. This is the most normal thing in the world to do right now. Would you step out of your aisle? Come on down. I want to pray with you. Church, start to applaud them. I appreciate their honesty. Come on, let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray with you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to stay here at the end of the service to pray with those of you who raised their hands. Appreciate that. Let's everyone pray right now. This is how you ask Jesus in your heart. Dear God, you loved me sometimes more than I love me. And Jesus Christ, you died for me. I need you. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all my mess-ups. And come and live inside me. I want you to. And I accept you. Father in heaven, forgive me as I reach out to your son, Jesus Christ, and allow him to be Lord and have control of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, come see me afterwards, okay? But church, life's about relationship. And maybe people have wounded you. Ask God to help you for the right time, the right opportunity. And don't do this. Oh, I'm coming to see you because I want to forgive you for what you did to me. Nah. Dude, come on. I've had people do that to me. Well, I, I forgive you. I forgive God. God offended me. I forgive. Come on. You know the best way to approach a pet dog? You don't know if he's going to be angry or nice. You know what you do? They, you put your hand out like that and make yourself vulnerable. I think in the spirit of grace and mercy, we need to make ourselves vulnerable. And come not with an accusation, but come with the offer to love without conditions. Go. Be peacemakers. Make peace. And steal the enemy's joy. Amen. In Jesus' name. God bless you, church.